day of the week. This is the Airbus Podcast. My name is Mel. My name is Mike. Ooh, one name. One one claim to fame to his name. Yep, today just one name. Tomorrow, who knows? Never. We the world may never know. Hello. How are you, Mike Benner? I'm doing well. We are without our friend Peter today. He uh, logistical issues has made it so it's just Jamel and I, and uh, Peter sends his love. Yeah, Peter. Uh, he found out that he's related to not only the woman who threw the beer at the Rams game, but also the guy who threw the beer at Palace of Auburn Hills. Oh, quite an impressive bloodline Peter has. Yep, they're both his mom and his dad. He's got four <laughs> parents. We've met them. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that was crazy. Uh, guys, look, let's get into some business before we talk about some basketball today. If you go to Apple Podcasts and you leave us a five-star review, we will read whatever you write on the air. Jamal, I believe uh, last week there was a review uh, about me, one Mike Benissimo. Uh, from little stochastic pimp daddy calling me the ER of podcasting. Which we did not agree with. I didn't listen. I you know so I, I don't know what happened, but I, you know what? I'm not the EOR of podcasting. Yeah, that would be EOR. Listen to his podcast on iHeartRadio. Yeah. It's called uh, Donkey Tales. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> For, went, went with the first uh, draft on the name there. Yeah. Uh, well, uh-huh. fuck you, little Sachesic Pimp Daddy. Uh, fuck you to hell. <laughs> just because I have a deep voice doesn't mean I'm a sad sack piece of shit donkey. It just means he has big genitals. I don't co-sign that necessarily. Let's get into our new review this week. Headline. And also, fuck you. Wait, fuck <laughs> you, Benner, for thinking that I wrote that. I don't know what stochastic means, nigga. No, that, that was not me. I don't either, but I just, I saw Mike Benissimo, and I was like, Jamel has literally called me that before. Yeah, I'm, someone is bugging my house or just straight up following me, and that's, it's cool. Just hope, thanks, thanks for listening. <laughs> He's listening to the podcast that is your life. That's cool. This is the podcast of my life. That's a Green Day song, right? Yeah, and it's mostly just like audio of episodes of Law and Order. And then like mm-hmm. occasionally like Right? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Sad times it's unpredictable. And in the end it's rice. <laughs> We got another five-star review. Papa Chunkies. I'm sorry. Papa Chunkles is the headline from a username that is just a bunch of letters that I am not going to read. They wrote, five stars, Sloopy Floop is the body of the review. Okay. Thank you. Does Sloopy Floop mean anything to you? I mean, I think I'm going to lift myself up off my feet and scoopity-whoop. Oh. Isn't there like an old song called like Hang On Sloopy? Not that I know. Is it the dudes who did Ruby Tuesday? Maybe. Hold on. I'm going to 
goodbye. Sloopy Tuesday. Well, if Peter's not here, I'm just picking up his slack. Yeah, no, I think uh, that sounds right. It's the McCoys. Hang on, Sloopy. All right. Okay. You want to hear what the lyrics are? Sure. Hang on, Sloopy. Sloopy, hang on. And then that just repeats for like most of the song. Were they drunk as hell when they wrote this? Sounds kind of tight. I don't know. I'm going to look up look it up later. Jamel, there's basketball happening. At least free agency basketball. How do you feel about that? Oh, man. Uh, R.I.P. to our guy, Pat Bev, a.k.a. Rat Bev. Ooh, Rat Bev. Uh, look out for some merch coming out of Rattrick Beverly soon. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the L.A. Clippers have acquired Eric Bledsoe from the Grizzlies uh, in exchange for Patrick Beverly, Rajon Rano, Rano, Rondo, Rondo, and Daniel Orturo. Um, this is a silly ass trade, right? It is. I don't know what's going on, but I'm excited to see Eric Bledsoe on a contender. What am I saying? I guess so. I don't know. I feel like wherever he's gotta be better than Patrick Beverly. Wherever Eric Bledsoe goes, he like he downgrades them. From like contendered or something else. Well, he's he usually goes to a team that's like, all right, we're fuck contending. That's true. I, I think uh it just seems like it's like three washed players in an unknown quantity all being shuffled about. Uh yeah. I don't know why these guard I mean I can't as long as Rat Bev came from this, I'm fine with it. But like, I honestly don't know what's going on. <laughs> Listeners, let me tell you, uh, Rat Bev, there, there's some beautiful merch coming out soon. But uh, I think word on the street is that Patrick Beverly is maybe expected to be bought out of his contract by the Memphis Grizzlies, and then he will sign with uh, a different contender. Um, I don't understand why Patrick Beverly is coveted by contending teams. Frankly, he's not good. Uh, yeah, we're all going to find out together, uh, and I'm excited to see it. Uh, I mean, he was he was the guy. He was the first guy with the Bucks, and they would just lose in the second round. Do you think he goes back to the Bucks? No, I'm just saying. Like he's been a guard on a good team. He the argument is he's not your lead championship caliber, but he's coming off the bench. Right? Is he the starter? In Memphis? What? Absolutely not. No. No, I'm talking about Bledsoe. Oh, Bledsoe. I'm sorry. Uh, My fault. We were talking about, um, I mean, Rondo and Patrick Beverly are going to jump John Moran. What's going to happen there? They're going <laughs> to all just, does he beat them up? Is there when does the fist fight happen? I really can't call. I don't know what's gonna happen next. I think it's fun for the Grizzlies. They need some crazy dudes down there right now. I truly do not understand why the Grizzlies uh got them. I guess maybe I see Rajon Rondo. I don't know anything 
about Daniel Arturu, I guess Rajan Rondo might be seen as like a uh, a calming playoff presence that can kind of back up Ja Morant. But do you know anything about Oturu? Wasn't that the kid who um, lied about his age in the Little League World Series? <laughs> yes. Didn't he say he was like, he was 12, but this motherfucker was 26? Yes, I think that is exactly who this person is, sure. Damn, you know, hey, welcome back, dude. Uh, Jamel, you done a Saslam, uh, signed for uh, his 19th season with the Miami Heat, a $2.8 million contract. Uh, the man hasn't played more than five games in two years. Mm-hmm. Why is he Why is he there? Um, because sometimes in life, you need a bag. So you're saying the Miami Heat kept him around just to give him a bag? When you get a bag. When you get a bag. Like the flash, drip toe tag, rock star flash. You know, he's he's just like French Montana. He was probably in Miami as well. Probably. Um, I mean, they, you- Patrick, I mean, I, you, look, Pat Riley has decided – he needs Udonis Haslam around at all times and he'll pay him whatever it takes to make it happen. That makes sense. Um, Jamel. Yes. I think the real reason we're here today is to talk about the newly released uh, Netflix exclusive documentary about a topic that is near and dear to our hearts, right? It's true. This is, I mean, this was one of the biggest moments in NBA history for me mm-hmm. and this show. I feel like we've talked about it multiple times. We've dedicated whole episodes to this. Uh, I still have my Jermaine O'Neal jersey, and I'm very glad I never let it go. Of course, what we're talking about is Untold, The Malice at the Palace. It is uh, a newly released Netflix documentary about the event uh, in 2004 that took place at the Palace at Auburn Hills when uh, a brawl broke out between uh, the Indiana Pacers players and Detroit Pistons fans. Uh, It is a fascinating documentary uh, full of like kind of new revelations and, 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 I don't know. I think just kind of underlying one of our grand tenets of this podcast, which is that fans should be illegal. Fans should be banned off rip. The thing that I never thought about. And this is what should have happened. The Pistons fans should have been banned for at least a few games, at least a couple weeks. They do it all the time in soccer. And I I know soccer is like more racist and they'll call you a monkey and then, you know, they'll like set a trash can on fire in the stands. But when things get brazy, they always tell them Italian niggas, you cannot come to the game. And then the teams play in empty stadiums. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that... 
should have been what happened because the fans are freaking fucking animals when you look at all this footage that that has mostly been previously unseen in this documentary like they kind of present such a full picture um what you know of the mouse in the palace has been like so thoroughly manicured and edited by espn and you know abc and all all the networks that kind of own the rights to this footage uh Watching all the raw footage, putting together the like live version of events, you're just like, like these fans are fucking monsters. I mean, there's so many things I didn't know. I knew the fans were monsters. Seeing the the first shot of the thing where it's like an extended cut of the team going back to the locker room through the tunnel, mm-hmm. that was crazy. I was like, oh my god. Yeah, uh, what did you think of uh, of Charlie Haddad, the the fan that famously uh, ran down onto the court from the upper level uh, and squared up with Ron Artest um, as Ron Artest was trying to leave the court, and Ron Artest, you know, he had his fist balled and was trying to like, you know square up with them and Ron Artest just kind of hit him with a two-piece and then Jermaine O'Neal came running in with a flying punch. Uh, what do you think of Charlie Herdad's interviews in in this this documentary? Well, I mean, he's just, you know, it's just a good example of a fan being a piece of shit. You know, like the DA later we... First off, God, DA, the DA gets honorable mention. He's a uh, he's <laughs> DA is incredible. He's incredible. The DA is amazing. But uh, so you know, we have proof that he came down on the court intentionally, and Charlie's like, somehow I end up on the floor. You know, it's like okay, he you floated down on the court. No, you were drunk as fuck, and you were like, damn, it's a riot. I'm never gonna get to walk on the floor. Courtside seats cost so much money. I should go down there. And punch Ron Artest. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what you did. Yeah. Fucking nut. So we're getting video interviews of him in this documentary in present day where he is basically calling Ron Artest a bitch, calling Jermaine O'Neal a bitch, saying Jermaine O'Neal sucker punched him. And like, it's like, do you not have any self-awareness about what happened? Like you... You made your way down onto a basketball court full of professional athletes as a five foot seven man and challenged Ron Artest to a fight and got the shit beaten out of you. And you're calling them bitches? It's just exactly, it's just delusional fan crap. Also, to see the dude who actually threw the beer and just, and I didn't realize there were interviews with him where he is not remorseful in any way mm. incredible yeah and i i love the moment when um the the reporter basically is like do you feel bad uh that ron artest thought the guy next to you threw the beer and punched him in the face and the guy's basically like no i feel happy that he was in my way <laughs> like and you're just like this guy's fucking garbage. He literally Pure deserves garbage to die. Yeah, and you know, I feel like th- you know, 
most people who sit in the 200s in any stadium are garbage. Because <laughs> you're not rich enough to be on the floor, and but you have money. You have enough money to spend, you know, north of $200 for seats. So you're just stuck in this, like, capitalist no man's land. And these are the people yelling the craziest stuff because they're the one. It's like, oh, he, okay, so he can hear me. It's it's like, you know, it's like being on fucking Twitter with a fucking, with like Archduke Ferdinand as your avatar. You know what I mean? That distance, it's the perfect distance to be a bitch to, because nobody can hear you when you live, when you're in the 400s, no one can hear you. The 400s. I don't think there's a lot of 400s in NBA arenas. Okay, 300. You right. (laughs) But you feel me, though. No, I feel you. It's like the 700 section uh, at the old Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. That was where you could get $5 tickets, bring in your own booze and hoagies and just get hammered. Yeah. And yeah, one of those dudes would try to stab Ron Artest. But he's up in the top. He can't even, he doesn't have access. Mm-hmm. That was actually a thing that I never realized because, like, they kind of play you the event in real time a couple times over. And uh, a huge part of the situation was that the Pacers were blowing the Pistons out. And so, probably about halfway through the fourth quarter, all the rich people in the lower bowl left. But because of the lack of security in the stadium, everybody in the upper bowls who were hammered and admittedly so on many, came on down down and sat courtside. So you got these 200 level (laughs) maniacs Mm. in near the court. They're blending in. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. The the saddest two things, I didn't know that Ben Wallace had a, a brother who died. I did not know that either. Very sad stuff. I could I could see myself being like just emotionally beside myself and then, you know, being set off by something that has nothing to do with it. I could see that being the case. Sure. I could see that I, being all, the case but, as well, but like I think and I'm sorry, I don't want to get ahead of what you're about to say, but like to me, I'm like, yeah, I understand that in the moment, but like his lack of kind of remorse and resentment towards Ryan Artest to this day, who Ryan Artest did not really foul him that hard. Ben Ben Wallace's reaction was way over the line for what that foul was. Am I wrong? Yes. I agree. Hard foul, but um, if it happened in the playoffs, you wouldn't act like that. Yeah. If it happened er- earlier in the game, you wouldn't act like that. But yeah, I can understand, given the context of what we knew about what was happening that night, uh, why he overreacted. But like, like 15, 16 years on, he's like still blaming Ron Artest for what happened. And I'm like, no, dude. Like, you've got to own up to what you did in this this situation. Yeah. 
same with Jamal Tinsley. Hey, dude, I, I didn't realize he was telling Ron to hit him. Oh yeah, that's true. I didn't. That was that was wild as well. So yeah, what Jamal's talking about is that there's. Uh, I think the first time I've ever seen it sounds like the first time you've ever seen it, where Jamal Tinsley was kind of goading Ron Artest into giving Ben Wallace a hard foul. Um, he was he basically said at one point he was like less than a minute left, time to get your foul in, bro. Go hit him. Which is, I did not see that coming. Neither did I. Yeah. Love Jamal Tinsley. What are you doing, Jamal? I think if he, I think Jamal Tinsley, knowing what we know of him, if he could take that back, he might, he might take it back. Yeah, he might, uh, he might want to go take backs on that. Yeah, but hey, sure, everybody was wrong. Why are there only three cops in a packed stadium? This is a big like. Don't they usually elevate security for bigger games? Like this is a big game. At that point in time? I mean, I will never advocate for more cops being in a situation, but it does seem like, it seems weird that... Somebody, get 12 therapists down there. Somebody. (laughs) Well, I I don't know. It just seems like when you go to, when we go to a Clippers game, Jamal, how many cops do we see in and around the stadium? Like countless, right? Yeah, they're 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 moving around the stadium. You see them, you know, kind of. If you are closer to the floor, you see them at each corner of the exit or like the tunnels. And I know, like, we're living in a post malice at the palace world, and maybe my memory is betraying me, but like, I feel like I remember going to sporting events before malice. I remember going to like. Eagles games with my dad and like we're like noting that there were like literally a cop every 10 feet like just staring at the crowd along the wall between the crowd and the field or same with baseball games I remember they're just being cop like horse cops and maybe it's because I grew up in Philadelphia and, and we're fucking maniacs and so they need more cops there I mean Eagles uh, game like Veterans Stadium famously had a jail and judge underneath the field, uh, so maybe it's just where I grew up. But I remember there being like a, a, a noticeable police presence at every sporting event I went to growing up. So it's shocking to me that there's just three cops in the building that night. Yeah, and then one of them was about to uh, pepper spray Reggie Miller. I know, insane. Uh. Which is classic cop behavior to only pepper spray the exact wrong person. Right. There's like a drunk, fat, five foot six dude throwing fists at a man in a basketball uniform, but you're going to pepper spray the black guy in a suit. Yeah, like, oh, he. Is that Armani? Is that Pierre Cardin? Get him. He must have stole it. Uh, also, you know, the for the media. To get on the hip hop thug train, Oof. like, like English sports, I have seen video of like '90s rugby matches in England where they're like stomping refs out. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've seen things, and white people have done them. 
it's just classic. You know, you know what it meant. You know exactly what it meant. Well, should we let black people be? Should black people be allowed to defend themselves? Jamal, to be fair, there's rugby fans and just, be black. They were just passionate. I mean, sure. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, that's that's what it is. It's like you know, uh, white people starting riots are often uh, just passionate fans that got yeah that got ahead of creative. themselves. Uh, black black athletes defending themselves from people throwing beers and punches at them are thugs. It's just exactly the way it is. If you're white and you start a riot, ABC News will call you a creative leader. <laughs> They'll, you'll get a grant. We're interested in your ideas, Mister White Man. Um. It was shocking to see, uh, like, I'd love to hear, has Bob Costas, like, talked about his kind of response to this whole thing um, since did, it happened? No. Did he go super thug, too? He 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 was kind of, they kind of played, I don't know if you remember, but they in, during the documentary, they played, like, a whole, like, minute-long kind of, like, speech he gave about like how these NBA players are entitled thugs and we need to like rid the league of this kind of behavior and blah, 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 blah. Um, and I don't know. I just feel like Bob Costas has kind of become like one of the like woke voices of sports broadcasting in recent years. And I'm like, has anybody ever held him the task for like how he Treat it, Ron Artest and Jermaine O'Neal and Steven Jackson. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, you're not wrong. He's got and a whole ass new to- HBO show about like dealing with like modern issues in sports. And I'm like, bro, are you gonna ever gonna talk about like how you were nationally racist for like I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we let Bob slide on a lot of stuff. And also, he used to uh, cover the craziest team in basketball history, which is the St. Louis Spirit, which I believe may have also had a player go in the stands. Marvin Barnes was definitely punching people. I don't know if it was his teammates or coaches or fans, but he definitely was scrapping. It sounds like this is an episode of NBA Storytime. Which it very well may be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the last most like interesting thing. Well, there's a. There, I mean, there's so much more to talk about, but you know, let's. It's the off season. Let's let's cap this at like thirty minutes. Yeah, or so. yeah. Unless you want to talk about Corey Kispert for forty five more minutes, I could do that. I am good. Um, I think okay. There's like Jermaine O'Neal. Uh, and I think we talked about this in our like kind of infamous uh, episode about the malice of the palace um, years ago, but like his career was kind of derailed by this event. Um, like he was going to be a superstar. And then he kind of just by defending his teammates who were being attacked he got suspended for, I think it was 25 games. Uh, he was labeled a thug. He did not get 
the interest in money in a free agency that he probably deserved. He and he was labeled with the malice thing forever. Like he could never leave it behind him, even though, as we mentioned or hinted at earlier, like he he appealed these suspensions in federal court and they found that he was right in everything he did, that he was right to defend his teammates, that he was right. And even Ron Artest was found not at fault for anything he did. Like the guy who hit him with a beer cup assaulted him and he had, he had a right to defend himself. The guy who squared up with him on the court, Ron Artest had a legal right to defend himself. Judges found. So like none of the players faced any legal wrongdoing here. They were all found to be in the right. But I would say that Jermaine O'Neal and Ron Artest in particular and Steven Jackson, maybe a little less so, like they their careers dramatically suffered because of this night when they ultimately were legally found to be defending themselves. What I think you're saying is the league owes Jermaine O'Neal $100 million, and I say yes. Yes, that is essentially my point. But I also think Jermaine O'Neal needs to forgive Ron Artest a little bit. Yeah. He he still seems to be holding a grudge against Ron um, and maybe Steven Jackson to a lesser extent. That Well, you know, I look, here's what I'll say for Jermaine. I understand him being upset at that time. Maybe years later, you know, you deal with it, but... I can imagine Ron pissing me off in that situation as well. The way Stephen Jackson, <laughs> the way Stephen Jackson tells it, if I was Jermaine O'Neal, I'd be pissed too. It's like, okay, shit is fucked up. We don't know what's going on. It's a dust up. Ron gets hit with a beer. Ron goes after the guy, which is already unprecedented. The guy should not have thrown the beer. But these dudes have been getting hit with beers going into the tunnel for years. It's never been right, mind you. It's always a fucked up thing to do. So Ron's like, fuck that. Today, this is Ron's last day. And then Jermaine does back you up. He's like, oh shit, Ron's about to get jumped in the stands. I don't even know what's going on, but I have to go get him. And so, like, there's this chaos. And then. When you guys finally get back to safety for Ron's first thing to be to for the first thing you hear Ron Artest to say to be, hey, you think we're going to get in trouble? (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to fucking kill you. (laughs) It's pretty funny, though. But I think. But for. okay, so. They were all found to be. Like legally not liable for anything. Like they they were like the DA was talking about how Ron Artest was right to be defending himself in this situation. He had no uh there was no like he was cleared. And Jermaine O'Neal to be sitting there being like everyone like what people don't talk about is how a judge said that I was not legally in the wrong here. Well, a judge said that about Ron Artest, so you gotta forgive Ron Artest at some point, right? Like I agree. 
Like I think the biggest thing is him he, him requesting the trade. I think that's why he hasn't really given. That's true. Ron Artest did because if they were to, like, I think all of that stuff changes if they stay together. Like because the team is still a playoff team even without Reggie Miller. I mean, they were beating the fuck out of Detroit without him. Mm-hmm. So you think if they run it back, they're going to be good. So even after the suspension, everybody's going to be coming up for a big free agent contract if they stay together. Ron essentially forced – Ron started the fight and forced a tank job. Ron did not start the fight. Okay, no, okay, okay. Ron didn't start the fight. Technically, Ron, if you want to, if you want to, Ben Wallace started the fight, and then a fan turned it into a riot. It becomes a riot. Jermaine O'Neal, I'm Ron. I'm backing you up. I went in the stands for you because we play basketball together, and I love you. So that's why I did it. Now we're all, and I, we all went to court together. Now you're gone. It's like, whoa, dude. That kind of sucks. I mean, I. it's like, I understand where Ron's coming from. It's like, damn, that was a disaster. I feel bad. Being here is going to be tough. But well, also, I, to, like, at the same time, like, yeah, being here is going to be tough. And it's going to be tough because Jermaine O'Neal blames me for everything. And he's the star well, of the team. How can I live on this team? Well, but that's what is so how I mean, I don't think he's as mad if he stays. That's what I'm saying. I see, I wanna I think we need a further, like a follow-up documentary to figure out the timeline of that. Cause like I don't know, like, did Ron Artest want to leave because Jermaine O'Neal was just like treating him like garbage and blaming him for everything that happened? Or did Ron Artest leave? Because he just was like, I want to run away from my problems. And then Jermaine O'Neal got mad at him for leaving. I don't know what happened. All I know is that Ron Ron Artest feels bad and has tried to make amends. And Jermaine O'Neal holds a grudge to this day. Which does, it seems unnecessary. I mean, come on. And then Ron. Then Ron gets to play with Kobe somehow. I know, I know. But that's I think it's that's so, the most heartbreaking cr- thing is at when he is interviewed after winning a championship and being a a a a valuable contender on a championship team, and they ask him, How do you feel? And live on TV, he says, I feel like shit because I was supposed to win a ring with Jermaine and Steven and Jamal. And and then what happened happened, and here I am winning a ring without them. Like that's heartbreaking, man. That's heartbreaking. Yes, it is very sad to be a winner. <laughs> <laughs> but Jamel, you it's not. It's yo. Look, I get it. It's not Ron's fault. He's the best at playing defense. It's not his fault. It really isn't. I think hearing about Ron Artest talking about his own mental health and his struggles with it and what he's gone through and how he owns what happened. He literally says, I I was a coward. I did the cowardly thing. I I didn't want to face the conflict head on. And instead I, I demanded a trade. Like he, 
he clearly still feels like shit and that makes him a tragic figure and that makes it like so sad he feels like and garbage I, to this day for what happened yes and that it does and i and that doesn't make me feel good all i want to say is i don't know there's a line for me like no jermaine shouldn't be like he shouldn't be in the streets like fuck ron artest but i don't think that means they have to be friends again I don't think they have to be friends. You don't have to be friends with anybody, but you don't have to be in the streets saying fuck run our test. That's it. And I mean, I hope he's not. I guess he is. He kind of was. I mean, in so many words, <laughs> this documentary, he was like, fuck Ron. I mean, if I'm watching the finals, if I'm watching the 09, 2010 finals, yeah, hey, fuck Ron Artest. <laughs> Right, but if it's 2020 and you're being interviewed, are you still fuck yeah. our test? Especially no, everything like, you know about him and what he's gone through with his mental health. Yeah, obviously Ron's going through something. You have to be to play defense that good. No one in their <laughs> right mind plays defense that good, dude. The the most like mentally healthy like great defender is Robert Covington, and he owns like nine snakes. Exactly, bro. See, yeah. you got to get something is there. Something is there. Yeah. Um, well, I guess that's kind of our discussion about the Malice the Palace documentary. Um, it's it's so fucking good. I'm going to watch it again. Um, I think it's like just about an hour of your time. Totally worth watching to, to just see things from perspectives that we have not seen in in in. In 17 years of talking about this thing, there's like still shit we're learning about it. And that's fascinating. Uh, and, you know, shout out to Donnie Walsh for just trying to surround Reggie Miller with a suicide squad of maniacs. <laughs> and it just went a, it went a little awry. You know, it could have worked. It could have worked, man. It almost worked. It should have worked. Got so close. Yeah. All right, Jamal, anything you want to point people to today? Uh, new episodes of the NBA Storytime hitting the feed tomorrow or today? Tomorrow, Wednesday. Hell yeah. Wednesday, Friday. I don't even know what it is, but I'm going to be up in that thing. Check it out. You're at Nonprofit Comic on Twitter, at Brock Playhouse on Instagram. We're at Airbuds on all social medias. Check me out on Twitter at Airbud. I'm sorry, not at Airbuds Pod. At Benner, B E N N E R. <laughs> Airbuds House. Airbuds House. Broccoli Buds. Check us out in all all combinations. We love you guys. Thank you.